Good evening. This lecture will be Leilu Nishmat Ruven Ben Yudit, Leilu Nishmat Gavriel Ben Mazal, it's 20th anniversary Yorzeit, also Shulamit Bat Yafa, six years. And uh, for the health of Stefan Michael Moffitt. Tov, Baruch Hashem, it's today is the last year before Pesach. And after Pesach, Bezrat Hashem, I'm going to Eretz Israel for almost a month. So yeah, I have a pretty long break until I'll be back. Uh, I don't know if I will have English lectures in Israel. It's possible. So far, nothing is planned. We will see about that. Uh, last night in Queens, I spoke about Gezel, stealing honesty. I wanted to do part two about it, but maybe I'll do something else tonight, and then eventually I'll do part two on the Gezel, because I have much more material to, you know, to speak about. But today I want to speak about Chumrot Yeterot. Stringencies? Stringencies. People who are too strict on themselves, when it's not necessary. When it's necessary, it's a very good thing. Right? If you're strict when the Torah requires, or the Gemara requires, or Halakha requires, then we have a say in Judaism, Kol HaMachmir, Tavo Alav Bracha. Everyone who's, uh, you know, uh, 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 extra strict with himself should be extra blessed. But this is when it's necessary. When it's not necessary, sometimes... You lose more than you gain. I'm going to give you, of course, sources of the greatest rabbis in the generations. Nothing is coming from my opinion. I don't want you, when you come to argue with your friends, you shouldn't do that. It's a waste of time. Don't say it on my name. Because nothing here is from my, from my name. It's not that I sit and I have my opinion and I, I try to convince you to follow my opinion. Everything I tell you, it's written in the holy books. You disagree? Go to this Chachamim, to their graves at least. Maybe put a note over there. Maybe at night they'll come back to you and tell you what they wrote, what they wrote. Tov. The Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit, page 11, the Gemara say, when you are extra strict for no reason, no, no logical reason, right? It's uh, what does it look like? Someone that is a high scholar, learns a lot of Torah in a high level, knows a lot of Torah. The Gemara gives an example of someone that knows a lot of Torah and learned Torah in the highest level and he decides to fast. He wants to fast. What's wrong with fasting? In Yom Kippur, fasting is required. That's exactly the point. There are five days a year that fasting is required. The rest of the time, there is no requirements in the Torah to fast. 
What's wrong with a person that wants to be extra strict and fast more than five days a week? I mean, it used to be uh, uh, very common that a lot of people used to fast. The answer is, what happens when you fast? Your brain is not as strong. Your memory is not as strong. Your concentration is not as strong. Meaning, because of the fast, either you learn less, or even if you do not lower the amount of hours that you learn, the quality of the learning will be less. And when the quality of the learning is uh, lower, that's already a big problem. Why? Because the Gemara in Masechet Megillah, the Gemara says, Mevatlim Talmud Torah Avur Kriyat Megillah. You are allowed to stop learning Torah, meaning Gemara in Yeshiva, and go to hear the reading of the Megillah, of the Esther scroll on Purim. The Gemara asks, What's the news over here? This is Torah, and this is Torah. So if I close this book and open right away another book, what's, why do you need to give me permission for that? <coughs> the answer of the Gemara is, because not all learning Torah is equal. The higher the level it is, meaning the more difficult it is to understand, the more reward you get. The easier it is, the less reward you get. So that's called Bitul Torah Be'echut. There is Bitul Torah in quantity, and there is Bitul Torah in quality. Meaning, what does it mean in quantity? You used to learn 10 hours, and now you learn only 8 hours. That's called Bitul Torah in quantity. 8 hours instead of 10, it's 20% reduction in quantity. But sometimes you learn the same 10 hours, but in lower quality. Yesterday you learned 10 hours Gemara in the highest level, and today you're not in a mood, so what do you do? You read stories about the life of the Rambam, the life of Rashi, the Baba Sali, you know, all kinds of stories. You read a little Tehilim. In the end, you don't learn Gemara the whole day. So you learn 10 hours. But you didn't learn in the highest level that is required from someone like you. So that's called Bitul Torah Be'echut. That's why the Gemara needed to give us a special permission only on Purim to lower the level of our learning. Why? Because it's an obligation to publish the miracle that Hashem did to us in Purim. Because of this obligation to publish the miracle, you have only one time at night and one time in the morning a special obligation for an hour here and an hour there to close the Gemara in order for you to hear the reading of the Megillah. So from here we see that lowering the quality of your learning is a sin. It's a loss. So now if you're going to fast, and you're going to learn in a lower level. Usually you understand the Gemara, you go deep. And today, because of the fasting, you don't have your coffee, you don't have sugar. The sugar level went down, you're falling asleep. You know what happens when you fast. You lose more than you gain. Here is one example from the Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit. 
The Gemara says someone that is fasting for no reason, there is no value for his fasting. As Rashi writes, Eno Mo'ilo, does not help him at all. Not only doesn't help him, he actually lost on the value of his Torah. Rav Moshe Feinstein Zatzal was the, the head rabbi in America for Halacha. The other big rabbanim, like Rav Victor Miller and many others, but in authority, in Halacha, everybody knew in America, and one of the biggest in the world is Rav Moshe Feinstein, an expert in Jewish law. He lived in Lower East Side, passed approximately about 20 years ago, a little more maybe, and he wrote in Igrot Moshe's famous book, Yoredea Gimel, right? And he wrote over there, you can see over there, in the laws of modesty, that if a person is too hot, maybe you close the windows, they make too much noise here. Yeah. If the, the heat, meaning, you know, here in New York, he lived here in New York, and you, and you go June, July, August, those three months, is extremely hot and humid. Just like in Israel, you have six months like that, it's extremely hot and humid. Here in America, in New York at least, you have three months, that is extremely hot and humid. So Moshe Feinstein wrote over there, if the heat make a person suffer with his long clothes and jacket and you know the way religious people usually dress, Yeshiva Bnei Torah, right? Levishatam, you should know that wearing such clothes, it's midat chasidut, it's extra. It's not an obligation by Jewish law, right? So, if a person gets to a situation that it distracts him and he suffers and he's sad because of that, he's sweating and smelling and cannot focus and all days in suffering, he can trust Hashem that knows to recognize and understand his sorrow and suffering. And he doesn't need to wear extra jacket and all these things. He can wear maybe just a dress shirt, maybe fold the sleeves up to the elbow. Why? Because all kind of midat chasidut that causes a person suffering is not midat chasidut. You don't, it's not, it doesn't count like you're extra strict. Why? Because it's not logical. The Torah doesn't want to torture people when it's not mandatory. Why would you torture yourself? Rav Zilberstein say, in the name of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, that he heard from him that someone came to the Chazonish, which was the biggest Ashkenazi rabbi in the world until about 50 years ago and he asked the Chazunish, he told him that it's very hard for him to put a tie on Shabbat because of the heat. In, in Israel, in Bnei Brak, the heat is extremely hot and humid and the Chazunish answered him and this is one of the biggest poskei halakha of, of the last hundred years at least and the Chazonish say, Im en oneg, en kvot Shabbat. If there is no pleasure, there is no honoring here for Shabbat. You think I'm going to put a tie because I want to respect Shabbat. During the week, I don't wear a tie. Person in yeshiva, they usually they don't wear a tie during the week. But for Shabbat, I would like to wear a tie. But because of the tie that it will close the color of the shirt and make you sweat and choke from the heat and humidity, the Chazoni say, 
If you suffer while you put the tie, you do not gain any honor for Shabbat. So what do we see here? If you're a person that don't suffer from heat, and I know people like this, they love to sweat. Some people love to sweat. I never believed there are people like this, but in the last few years I met few. They love to be sticky, they love to be muggy, they love that their head is very, very oily, and they love that the shirt is stuck to their back in a very hot, muggy day, and that's their pleasure. So why not putting a tie? They will enjoy even more. But someone like me, Shemirachem, it's almost a dead sentence. You know, to be smelly and sticky and muggy, it's not for me. It's up to you. If you love to sweat, put a tie. If you don't like to sweat, you can live without it. Top. Uh, Hasidim don't have that problem. Normally they don't put a tie anyway. So they don't have this issue. Huh? But they close the top button. So it's the same thing. They wear a vest. You had to ruin it. They wear a vest. A vest. Wait is a different story. Therefore, in application from the Torah, if you wear a, a cloth that has four corners, you need tzitzit, those stripes. It's really true that if you do not wear tzitzit, you're not really breaking any law. You only break the law if you wear a cloth that has four corners that doesn't have the stripes. If you don't put tzitzit on you, you don't break any law because no one is forcing you to wear this kind of clothing. But you have to be extremely stupid to give up such a mitzvah that every second is count. Imagine, in an average minute you have 60 seconds. 60 seconds is 60 mitzvot. How much is that per hour? 3600 mitzvot. Right? So, 3600 times 24, you do the math. There's hundred, over 100,000 mitzvot in a day. Do you want to give up 100,000 mitzvot because it's a little bit hot? I, I assure you that one day you will regret it tremendously. But if there was a Sanhedrin today and they caught someone walking without a tzitzit, there's nothing they can do to him. He does not break the law. Stupid. It's his problem. He's going to lose the profit. But he doesn't know. We created a special clothes like this. Because today nobody wears clothes with four corners. So we created such a, such a outfit. And we... <laughs> it's always like that. The person cannot shut the phone. Remember I spoke about it a few times? Oh, it's always like that. Unbelievable. So if a person, a, a person want to give up on such a thing, it's really foolish. So we move on. The tzitzit is also a special protection, especially when there's judgment in the world. Free insurance policy. Free insurance policy, 100%. The Shlach Kadosh, 500 years ago, he lived in Tzfat, uh, in a book, Toldot Adam, and uh, this is what he writes. Yesh ladat, we should know. 
כי החומרות היתרות, דה אנססרי סטרינג'נס, סטרינג'נסי, דה אנססרי סטרינג'נסי, it's not natural to us, it's not our goal, it's not our vision, and it's not our destination, it's not our purpose. We didn't come to the world to look for how we can be extra strict and torture ourselves. There are times that it's necessary, but many times a person tried to force himself to do more than what's necessary. You may ask, what is it your business? Let him do whatever he wants. He wants to be extra righteous. The Torah requires up to here, and he wants to do a lot more. What is it your business? The answer, absolutely, it's not my business. Every posek, Rav Ovadia Yosef Zatzal said, and many other poskim, you want to be extra strict, be for yourself. Do not instruct others that that's the obligation, because it's not true. By telling people that's the law, it's deceiving. Why? I deceive him because I want to give him more reward. That's up to him to decide. You want to be extra strict? You tell him, this is what I do. That's what's required by the law. Whatever you like, it's up to you. This you must do. What I do, it's extra. You want to be extra strict? Very good. What is the problem when a person is extra strict with himself routinely, always? No matter what, he always go to the most extreme side. What is the problem? The problem is that every person has extra amount of mental strength. You have mental strength. If you will force on yourself too much, after a while you may break completely. And I'll give you an example of something that happened to me with some Georgian guy many years ago, over 20 I think by now. I, he came to one of my lectures, someone brought him, never in his life he heard the Shiur Torah, two hours like this intense. He started to become religious and started to come every Wednesday and became Shomer Shabbat, I got him tefillin, started to eat kosher, started to give tzedakah. Back then, 20 something years ago, I didn't have the experience I have today. So I wanted him in one month to do everything Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai did. The problem is that if you build a building like in China, in one day you build a hundred floors, it's too much of a risk. Too much of a risk. You have to build it properly. He wasn't yet a tool, a vessel, to accept so much in one or two months. So I kept telling him, oh, you know, you have to do a Sharia Tzar, you have to wash your hands after the bathroom, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do this. And, and he was cooperating until he snapped. Right up and I asked him, it's too much for me. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't wash my hands 20 times a day. I can't. What broke him? The little things. The little things broke him. Not Shabbat, not the Tefillin, not the kosher food. What really broke him? Things that if he wouldn't do it for a beginner, it wouldn't be such a big deal in the first few months. 
Slowly, slowly you would learn that after the bathroom you have to wash your hands for your own good. You're not doing anyone a favor. The problem is that you make, you bring a person to a, to a borderline that from here on it becomes so heavy on his shoulder that eventually it's not going to be... A... i give you an example. I, I asked one kid, now there's Ben Azmanim in Yeshiva. Ben Azmanim in Yeshiva. How many hours you learn? He told me one hour a day. I, I told him, that's it? He told me, that's what my Rebbe ordered me, to learn one hour a day. I said, if you learn two hours a day, your Rebbe should be happier, no? He told me, no. Specifically, he told me, learn one hour a day. Why? His Rebbe is a tzaddik. Why does he tell him to learn only one hour a day? Because now it's like vacation time. Why do they have this off? that when they come back to yeshiva, they come with full force and they learn 10 hours a day for months. If when they have vacation, supposedly, you're going to tell them to learn the same thing, that's not, a, that's not off. What's going to happen when they are obligated to learn? When they are obligated to learn, they won't want to learn and they break. You understand? So, the Rebbe knows what kind of a boy we're dealing with. Just in time. The Rebbe knows exactly what kind of a boy we learn with. What you tell one son, you don't tell your other one automatically. For one son, you can put a lot on his shoulders. For the other one, be smart, put as much as he can handle. You put too much, you break him. You build 40 floor buildings, the foundation is not strong enough. In one building, you have strong foundation, so you can hold 40 flights. The other one doesn't have such strong foundation. The entire building will collapse. So, the Khatam Sofer. Khatam Sofer, he lived over 200 years ago in Hungary. One of the important Hasidic Rebbe's. And he said like this. I'm reading word by word of what the Khatam Sofer said. Again, don't say I said. None of this lecture today is a word for me. I only read to you from different books. And they're all kosher, high-level, orthodox books that were written in the last few hundred years. The Khatam Sofer. Lo nachon listalek measafek al yede sheyase lechumra ben beisur doraita uben beisur derabanan. Translation. So, first, I'll tell you what he's talking about. Then you understand what he's talking. What he said. Some people, everything they have a doubt, immediately they go to the strict side. I don't play with fire. So, whenever there is halacha, they do not know if it's allowed, not allowed, kosher, not kosher, anything like that. Immediately, we don't take a risk. You know what's wrong with that? Fantastic. Big irat shemay, no. Chatan Sofer, it said, it's not a good thing. Because we have a rule, which the Chachamim in the Gemara wrote. Safek de Oraita lechumra. Safek de Rabanan lekula. Sometimes you have a question, is this meat kosher or not? That's mitzvah from the Torah. You can't take a risk. Maybe it's not kosher. Maybe the shochet is not kosher. Maybe the knife was not smooth. There's a doubt here. Or you don't know the origin of the meat. 
Don't touch it, it's the oraita. But sometimes it's the rabbanan. It's the rabbanan. What's wrong with being extra strict with rabbinical restriction? What's wrong with that? What do I lose? I'm going to be extra strict. Better than to take a risk and break a law of the rabbanan. The answer is you forget that the same rabbanan that told you that you have to keep this mitzvah, the same ones told you if you have a doubt, you have to go to the lenient side. Why? Why the Chachamim made such a law? Why the Chachamim did not say there's no difference? Every mitzvah from the Torah or from us, you always take the strict side when you have a doubt. Because sometimes it's involved with money loss. A lot of money. I give you an example. You have a yeshiva. You're the cook. You have 300 boys on Shabbos. You're making a huge bowl of chulent. There's more than a thousand dollars worth of meat in it. Beans and potatoes are not expensive. Nobody cares about that. But the meat is very expensive. Each piece is ten dollars, fifteen dollars. You put a lot of them, it could be a thousand dollars. What happened now? A drop of milk flew in it. Flew inside that bowl. You wanna be extra strict? Chachamim say, if you have 60 times more in a bowl compared to that little milk that dripped inside, no problem at all. You can eat it, serve it, don't even have to tell the student that it happened. Why? We are the one who made that strict law. From the Torah, once you have majority that is kosher, you don't need 60 times more. Majority, 60-40. 60% in a bowl was uh, allowed. And 40% not allowed got mixed. The 40% get cancelled. The Chachamim came and made an extra strict rule. No, don't exaggerate. If it's more than 1.6%, it's not allowed. Less, it's allowed. It's allowed, meaning Batel Beshishim. 1.6 meaning 1 out of 60. Take 100, divide it to 60, it's 1.6. Now what happened... If you're going to want to be extra strict now, you're going to be extra strict in a law that the Chachamim told you it's permitted, and you're going to burn a thousand dollars of people that donate to that yeshiva will go to the garbage. So you lost much more than you gained. In order for you to be more tzaddik than Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. It's not good enough for you. He would eat from it. Because it's Batel Beshishim. But you, you some kind of a holy, holy special Baba. Not good enough for you. So this is an example why the Khatam Sofer was worried about Amea Ratzot, people that are ignorant. Because they don't know Alachot. Someone who doesn't know Alachot, he found an easy way, which is a difficult way, but it's an easy way out. Everything, Asur. Not allowed. Not allowed. Rebbe, what should I do? Not allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. He doesn't know halachot. So by him, everything is not allowed. Chacham, his goal is to allow it. Not not to allow. Every real Chacham. Koach de'etera adifa. I'm going to read to you some sources. Today is a deep shiur. More deep than the usual. So you have to keep up your head with everything I read to you. Some people say 
I do not wear tzitzit. Why? Because I'm walking in the street without a keeper. Some people that keep Shabbos, they walk in the street without keeper. Either they are beginning beginners in, in tshuva, so they're still embarrassed to walk with a keeper in the, at the work or the area where they live. So the rabbi asked him, so why don't you put a tzitzit at least? So how can I walk with a tzitzit when I walk in the street without a keeper? The, the truth is there's no connection between the keeper and tzitzit. It's two separate mitzvot. The keeper is a good tradition, and in Shulchan Aruch it's, it's mitzvah de Rabbanan, not to walk four steps without kisui rosh. The tzitzit is, is mitzvah de oraita. If you wear a, a garment that has four corners and you have the stripes, the tzitziot, every second is mitzvah from the Torah. Just because you don't put his cover for your head, you're going to lose this mitzvah that we just explained that it's 3,600 mitzvot per hour. What's the connection? What is it like? Like a person that is an Amaharetz, is an ignorant person, and they ask him, did you burn your chametz? Erev Pesach? He said, no. Why? Because I heard in my community that you have to burn the lulav together with the chametz. And I forgot, so I threw my lulav away. Since I didn't have my lulav, how would I go to burn the chametz without the lulav? Say, so you fool. The lulav is just a tradition, some kind of a sgula. You do it, you don't do it, it doesn't change anything. This is now every second three violations from the Torah. Two restrictions and one positive commandments that you are losing every second for seven full days. You do the math. Millions of sins. Why? Because he didn't have the lulav, the genius. You understand? Here is an example of someone who wants to lose millions of mitzvot of tzitzit because he doesn't have the lulav on his head, meaning the yamaka. You understand? So we move on. The taz. The Torah is a 400 years ago approximately. Orachaim Taf Kuf Peichet Hey. He's talking about the decrees of Chazal. Zerot Chazal. It says something that it's written clearly in a Torah that it's permitted. Written in a Torah that it's permitted. Chachamim cannot restricted, restricted, restrict that unless it's written in a Torah that it's not allowed. But if it's written in a Torah that it's allowed, you're not allowed to make a restriction against it. But we have a problem with this. This is the word of the Taz. How will we explain Cherem de Rabenu Gershom? The Torah allowed a man to marry two women or more. Came Rabbeinu Gershom 1,800 years ago. Almost, uh, you know, the Gzerah was actually 4,000 years. It's ended about eight years ago. Rabbeinu Gershom said that no one is allowed to marry more than one woman in Europe. What we call Ashkenaz. This decree was all for the European Jews. All the Ashkenazim of Europe from that moment on, 
If they had any plan to marry another woman one day, they couldn't do it. Why? It's made a cherem. Cherem is a decree. No one will break a cherem of the biggest chacham of Europe. The question is, how does he go against something that Hashem says aloud? So let me explain. Every rule in life sometimes have an exception to the rule. What happened when Rabbeinu Gershom made that decree? Why would he go and tell a man that wants to marry another woman, which Hashem doesn't mind? Why would he come and say, no, I don't allow you? What, you are the new Hashem? With all due respect, Rabbi. Why are you telling me something that Hashem says aloud? By the Sfaradim, they didn't have this decree. In Morocco, Yemen, they did it. So why are you telling us we're not allowed? The answer is, the Christians in Europe, the church was very strong. The church was the government. Church would execute people, torture people, you know, see what they did in the Inquisition. Because the Christians were dominant, not like today, today the, the religion and politics is two separate entities. Whatever the church said does not make a difference in America. The politicians, the wicked politicians in Congress and the genius president of America, even in days that he remember his name, you know, he, they do whatever they want. They don't care about their religion. So in that case, in that case, you see that the religion has no influence on politicians. In some states, Texas and others, they're still dominant to a certain point. But a thousand years ago, in the time of Rabbeinu Gershom, the Christian would go crazy to see that someone in their country has more than one wife living with him in a house. They would look at it as something filthy, something not holy, something that corrupt their uh, values. By them, intimacy, it's already something negative. In the Torah, it's the highest thing between a man and a woman, husband and wife, in a kosher way, in a modest way, is the highest moment in a couple's life. According to Hashem, the Ben Ishchai has a whole book about it. But by Christian, they don't know Torah, they don't have Gemara, they don't know Rav Chisda in the end of Masechet Kiddushin and all these Gemarot that speaks about relationship. They don't know. So you want to be holy? You can't get married. You have to be a priest. Die, die alone. Don't have children, don't have a woman all your life. And then when you go against Hashem for 40, 50 years, I don't have to tell you what they do on the side. Check how many lawsuits they have. So, why? Well, you know better than the creator of the world what a man needs. The Torah says, Adam levado. It's not good for the man to be alone. He must have a woman. That's why Hashem made Adam a wife. He could have lived alone. What does he need a, a wife? Why? Hashem said, it's not good for you to be alone. You need Ezer Kenegdo. Who is she? Here it is. And you see, Hashem made them a perfect match, and they can bring kids to the world. So they messed up the Torah, they modified the Torah, everything by them is a whole big mess. So when they see someone marry more than one woman, they go crazy. Rabbeinu Gershom was afraid they're going to start killing the Jews. They're going to make pogroms, holocaust, because you know, they're very violent. So he said, no one, you can manage with one. It's not the end of the world. I mean, it's not, oh, you either marry a second wife or you die. No, manage with one. Another reason some say is that he started to see that men cannot handle even one wife. You want to give him another wife? 
Yaakov could have four, and he took care of all four. Doesn't seem in the Torah that he had any problem with one of them. But Rabbeinu Gershom saw what the world became, that's a thousand years ago. And he said, you know what? It's not as good as it used to be. Stay with one only in Europe. By the Arab countries, it wasn't a problem because the Arab themselves marry few women. So nobody would care if a Jew would have more than one. So in Morocco, that Baba Sali, if I believe so, had three different wives. And he only passed 30 years ago. So it's not, we're not talking about something hundreds of years ago. So we see now that Rabbeinu Gershom had a reason. It could have been Pikuach Nefesh, it could have been... So now you're allowed to go as a big chief Chacham to save the lives of others. Or Chaz Shalom to prevent attacks against synagogues and against yeshivas. And there is one third reason. Even the Torah that allowed a man to marry another woman did not speak about it as a positive thing. The, the Torah gave it as an option when there are problems, when the first wife is sick, when she's barren, she cannot have kids, or, this, or, or he goes far away six months out of the year with a boat, so he can take one wife with him. It wasn't lechatchila. It wasn't something that is mitzvah to do, like mitzvah to eat matzah, mitzvah to sit in a sukkah. These are things that Hashem wants you to do. Hashem doesn't want you to marry another woman. If there is no choice, he allows you to do it. But it's not a recommendation. Because to begin with, there was nothing recommended. Plus, there was pikuach nefesh. Plus, men could have not taken care of their wives as they should. Then the Chacham did the right thing. Like they say, Et la'asot la'ashem, aferu torotecha. But in general, in general, what the Torah allow, no one is allowed to come and say to someone, it's not allowed. What's allowed? It's allowed. The Gemara says in few places that Hashem says, not enough all the restrictions that I made for you, you want to create new restrictions? Meaning Hashem is not happy about it. I'm going to get to it soon. The next thing is, Well, one more reason why Rabbeinu Gershom actually did, uh, did it is because when it's written in the Torah, Ki tiyena le'ishtei nashim, a man will have two women. One is loved and one is hated. Meaning the Torah is hinting to you that it will create a problem. And right next to it, there is the subject of Isha Yefat Torah, a Goya in a war. That a person fell in love with her, and he brings her, and he converts her, and he marries her, and in the end they have a child, and this child becomes a, a beast. Ben Soreru More. So you see, even though the Torah allowed certain things, you're still going to pay a price for it. I allow you, but you're going to regret it. And this is a perfect example. That's why they are close to each other in the Torah. You know, most of the religious people in the world sometimes are not paying attention to what they do. Even people that know Torah, needless to say, those who don't know anything. I'll give you an example. We have a night that we learn Torah all night. Which night is this? Shavuot. Faradim <coughs> and some Hasidim they also do in Oshana Rabbah based on Kabbalah 
But in general, everybody knows in Shavuot, you stay up at night and you learn. The obligation to learn Torah in Shavuot, is this an obligation from the Torah? Is this the Rabbanan? Or is only a custom? What is it? Hmm? Let, let me read to you the words of the Rambam. Don't say, I say, I warn you. The Rambam said, the Rambam said, Yesh mitzvah me'atorah belel ha'seder L'saper b'itziat mitzrayim There is an obligation to speak about the exodus of Egypt Especially to your children And if you have guests as well And the more you do it The greater it is and every sentence that comes out of your mouth, what is it? Mitzvah deoraita. Obligation from the Torah. So the more you do it, the more mitzvot you're going to get. Just like with the tzitzit. Every second it's on you, it's an extra mitzvah. You put it for one hour, X amount of mitzvot. Three hours, three times more. Same thing, tefillin. You put the tefillin in shachris for one hour. You took it off, you have one hour tefillin. Both of them. Each one is a separate mitzvah from taryag mitzvot. You stay to learn with that ten hours a day in yeshiva, all day. Like some of the guys in my yeshiva in Yerushalayim, they put tefillin all day. So they have ten hours tefillin. What do you lose? You sit and learn gemara all day. You have tefillin on you. Every second is mitzvah. Unless you have stomach problems, you have to go a lot to the bathroom, you know, things like this. But other than that, what, what do you have to lose? The Rambam said, almost no one stay up all night, like the Chachamim in Agada. They learn all night until it was sunrise. Higiazman Kriyat Shachrit. Most people, 1, uh, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., that's it. They go to bed. That's not good. You could have stayed until 6 a.m., 7. Go directly to Shachrit. Then you have time to sleep after the meal. <laughs> no, the whole idea is that you have to dive in Shachrit, not to sleep. But the Lel Shavuot, where did we learn that we have to stay up in Lel Shavuot? Where is this custom started by? Who knows? The source. The Shlach HaKadosh of Horvitz, 500 years ago in Tzfat, he wrote, Yesh Inyan, there is an interest, there is a, a good thing to do, not an obligation from the Torah, not an obligation in Halacha, a good thing, recommended things to do, right? To stay up in the night of Shavuot, to learn Torah. So when there is Yeshinyan, almost every, everyone stay all night. When there is an obligation by Hashem, the more you do it, the more I will reward you. People are tired. Why is it? Hasidim Shotim, we are. You know what it means, Hasid Shoteh? Someone that wants to be extra righteous. There is Tzadik and there is Hasid. Hasid. Hasid doesn't mean because he came from Borough Park. 
Today in the modern language, when they say Hasidim, they mean Streimel, long coat, beard, long peos, and Yiddish, and good kugel. But that's not Hasidut according to the Torah. According to the Torah, you can, have, you can be some Moroccan guy in Morocco, nothing to do with Boro Park or Yiddish, and you are a very big Hasid, like the Orach Haim HaKadosh or the Babasali. So anyone who is extra righteous, extra holy, is a real Hasid. The outside appearance doesn't make you righteous. It's important that you have a good appearance, yes. Like the autistic child told me 22 years ago. He told my friend, actually. My friend came into the room. I told my friend, you want to speak to the autistic child? Do not come with your stupid jeans and your baseball hat. Don't embarrass me in the house of the rabbi here in Borough Park. You want to come? Wear a black suit, white shirt, and a big black yarmulke. Don't come with that. Why? He was working in construction in Jamaica Avenue. Over there, <laughs> every day you stay alive, it's a miracle. You don't want to look too Jewish over there. So you put a baseball hat, jeans, beeper. Nobody knows who you are, you know. <laughs> so I said to him, if you come to Boro Park, we're going to a house of a big rabbi here, Talmit Chacham, he has an autistic child. You dress like a, like a real Ben Torah. And when he walked into the room, the autistic child began to attack him, even though he dressed very religious. Tak, tak, tak. Shame on you. Why are you dressed like a goy? <laughs> but he was dressed like a Jew for the first time in his life. Why are you dressed like a goy? Why are you embarrassed to look like a Jew? But my friend has a big mouth. <laughs> Wonderful guy. But if he has a question, he's not ashamed to ask. So what did he say to the autistic child? What do you care about the outside appearance? Focus on the inside. The outside does not make a person. Good point or no? What the answer of the autist was? The outside make a change in the inside. The outside influenced the inside. First, you put the custom, and I can prove it to you. You want to make an experiment? Take a prisoner, someone that was in jail, someone dangerous, and ask him to wear a suit and a tie for three months, and then go and meet him. You'll be shocked at the difference that this person has in his behaving, just from the uniforms. That's why in the old days in secular schools, kids used to have uniforms. All kids came to school with the same shirt, light blue. Why do they care in a secular school how you dress? Today they don't care. That's why everyone behaves, I don't want to tell you how. But back uh, 40 years ago, if you didn't come with a uniform, they don't let you in the school. Go home and change. Why? They wanted everyone to know this is my learning clothes. Over here there are rules, how to behave and how not to behave. So you see that the clothing 
is affecting the person. The Queen Elizabeth of England do not wear a tight jeans. Right? Or sleeveless t-shirt. Or baseball hat upside down. Backwards. Why? She's the Queen Elizabeth. Also Hillary, the lefty liberal trader, Hillary Clinton, she will commit every crime in a world, but she will not dress too casual. She will still dress like a queen always. Why? She's one of the leaders of the country. You never saw her coming with the tight, uh, with the short pants or tight jeans or, or, or short sleeves. But she's not exactly Hasidish, Hillary, you know, if you know what I mean. But the job obligates. The more respectable you are, meaning people respect you, the more you understand that you're not just another animal in a zoo that walks naked. So what do you see from here? Someone who walks without clothes is closer to be an animal than a human being. And I'll give you a proof for it. When Hashem said to Adam and Eve, do not touch this tree, right? It's a dot, tree of wisdom. They were like monkeys. Monkeys walk without clothes and they're not ashamed. They walk naked. They didn't understand something is wrong. As soon as they ate and the knowledge, the da'at went into them, what was their first reaction? Immediately they covered themselves, their private parts. Why? They realized it's a big shame. What do you, she's a wife. But even that they got embarrassed. Why? Because there were animals around. So a normal person, even to walk without clothes in an island that there's only animals over there, he doesn't agree. Why? It's an embarrassment. Needless to say when there are other people there, or respectable people, right? Or people that knows you, that's even a bigger shame. So the idea is, the first reaction of wisdom is modesty. To fight the shame. Shame, it's a sign of wisdom. Someone that has no shame and no modesty is dumb. Dumb spiritually, not physically. He may be a professor for math. He could be a nuclear physician, whatever you want to call it. He may be a pilot in a physicist. Yeah. He could be somebody important in university, but dumber than a shoe when it comes to spirituality. Who is the best example for that? Huh? Obama, very good. Hussein Obama, professor in Harvard Law, one of the dumbest people on earth. Why? Education in university does not make you spiritually wise. That's why Hussein Obama, every decision he made was the opposite of Hashem likes. Whatever Hashem likes. One thing I can give him a credit for. When you deserve a credit, you deserve a credit, even if you're wicked. One thing he deserves a credit for. You know what? One thing. When he got elected, he came to the Western Wall. They closed the whole area, and there were a few Hasidim who somehow snuck in. <laughs> Hussein Obama did not know who he's messing with. <laughs> so he wrote a note and stuck it in the wall. 
And five seconds later, Mendel <laughs> jumped and pulled the note and showed the whole world his private note. What was written over there? I was shocked, to be honest with you. I was shocked. Dear God, bless my wife and my daughters and give me a wisdom to fulfill my role according to your will. No Israeli politician put such a note in the Western world in the last 30 years. Last one maybe put something like this was Menachem Begin. What other prime minister was righteous? They're all wicked. Begin at least was Shomer Shabbat, learning Tanakh, straight like a ruler, honest, never steal. He had schuyot. But everybody else was Rasha Gadol, one by one. one. They can all compete. You know how you have the, the Lamed Vav Tzadikim? <laughs> you also have Keneged Lamed Vav Reshaim. Every Prime Minister of Israel can actually be in a, in a group. Bennett for sure is there. Bennett, no question. Ehud Barak, no question. Lieberman was not a Prime Minister. Lieberman is a, yeah, for sure, Lieberman. But, just to show you, Anyway, let's move on. So, uh, so Friday night, tonight, I mean, this coming Friday night, it's about to stay up all night and talk about Yitziat Mitzrayim. Much more important than Shavuot and Oshana Rabbah. So, if you stay in Shavuot and Oshana Rabbah, big Yishar Koach, you must stay in Pesach. Must. Why? Because don't be a Hasid Shoteh. You know the story I said sometimes about the Hasid is in yeshiva, Hasidish yeshiva, and he bought himself a bottle of milk, and he put a note on it, <laughs> private. After a few hours, he can't open the fridge, he wants the glass of milk. Half of it was drained already. What's going on? I, I wrote private. Maybe person didn't see, he was tired, mishmar, learning all night. I'm done lekafzchut. Next day he bought milk, he put a bigger note. Private, do not touch. He comes two hours later, half of the bottle is finished. What's going on? Is yeshiva, people learn gemara all day here and they touch without permission? What am I gonna do? The next day he found an idea. He put chalav akum, not chalav Israel. Nobody touched. That's called chasit shoteh. Mitzvah deoraita not to steal, you can come back in Gilgul just for that alone, that milk that you stole. Nobody is worried. In his face, there is a note. Anyway, I'm going to drink from here. I, I steal, and I don't care what you write and what you put, and you protest, and you makpid. Who cares? Deoraita gamur, worse than eating pork. Worse. Stealing is worse than eating pork. You should know it. For eating pork, you get punished. But you don't come back and get good for that. For stealing, even Gehenom cannot repent for it. You must come back and pay it back. It's a big problem. Who is going to see Mashiach and comes to heaven? Someone that his hands are clean. Nekika Kapaim means his palms, his hands. The Siat Kapaim is a Kohen. 
נקי כפיים מובר לבב, heart is pure clean and the hands are clean. בהתחלה בישראל, which is a חומרה, and especially today, all the milk in the world is kosher, guarantee. Nobody puts camel there, and nobody puts donkey there, and nobody puts pork there. It's automatically, all the factories, they have uh, cameras, it's against the law in America, if you sell milk that is not cow, you can go to jail, you can lose your license, your company will lose a billion dollar in the stock market, they take away your license, no one will ever do. Plus, milk that is not cow costs six times more. I do not suspect that the milk company became so generous that they want to give us the milk that costs them six times more. So the chance that you drink regular milk and it will be not glad kosher milk is one to a million, not even. But still, it's guarantee a sin. No problem. Worry about Chalav Israel, one to a million that there is a problem. And if it was not Chalav Israel, it's still not Isur Doraita. It's only the Rabbanan, because maybe, the, maybe there's a chance the Goy did something. To begin with, the chances not really exist. So what do, you, what do we so makpid on Chalav Israel? Tradition. We respect our fathers. This is tradition of many, many generations. We stick to the... To the to the tradition. Every, and every Talmid Chacham will tell you right away, you compare stealing to this, you're out of your mind. But there are people who would be so makpid on Chumrot, and while they're breaking every possible rule of the Torah. That's called Hasid Shote. Wants to be extra righteous when the things that are minor, but the things that are life and death, no problem. Such as a woman so makpid in Chalav Israel, so makpid in so many chumrot, so makpid to read Perek Shira, so makpid in all kinds of things and it's all tradition and all chumrot. And then walk in the street, Hashem Yerachem, so not modest, every second machtiat arabim in Boropark or in Bnei Brak. Or in Mansi, doesn't matter. She thinks she's so from. What from? Her skirt is very short. Clothes are too attached. The wig sweeping the floor. She's working for the city. She walks in the street and sweeps the floor with her wig. That's how long it is. So, not to talk about these high heels and other things and tons of makeup. And she finished the whole duty free on herself. Mama, she gives the whole Brooklyn, she gives Reach Gan Eden, Lichvod Yom Tov, such a tzaddikah. Every second mitzvah, every second she breaks the mitzvah of being modest, she's machtiat arabim by thousands. And what does she worry about? Tell me, this chocolate is chalavakum or it's afkat chalavakum? Worry about this. One second the way she dresses on the street is a trillion times eating not chalav Israel. Trillion times. She will eat trillion times chalav ragil, regular milk. Trillion, not billion, trillion. And it's still not going to come to one second that she walks out of her door to the street. One second and she ran quickly back in. One person saw her, that's it. It's already worse than a trillion times some kind of humrod that she does. But that's the problem. People do not know on a scale what's heavy 
and what's light. That's why I'm making this shiur lechatchila for people to begin to think. Next thing. The Gemara in Masechet Beitza, first page. The Gemara say the rule. Koach dehetera adifa. If you have a way to restrict or to allow what you should aim as a posek. I have to do everything you can to allow. Of course, if there is a way to allow, if there's no way to allow, you can't say pork is allowed. Why? Because I know you, you, you desire it. You're not allowed. It's against the Torah. But if according to the rules of the Torah there's a way to allow it, you have to do everything you can to allow it. Not everything you can to say everything is not allowed. For instance, the Gemara always go by Bet Hillel. Bet Hillel are more lenient than Bet Shammai. Always like Bet Hillel. Why? Shammai is not, not right sometimes. Always Hillel is right. Why? is more Mekel. Rambam. Rambam writes, Raui Leatir Lifne Bnei Adam Kol Mashef Shar Leatir. The right thing to do is to allow to human being to do everything that you can allow them to do. Meaning you do the best you can to allow it. Don't torture them. Don't make it too much of a burden for people. Try to make it easy for them. Don't look for extra humrot to make life hard. As it is, it's not easy. Rambam, not me. Ve'yesh le'adam, again, a'acher, a different person, beno le'ben atzmo, she'yachmir al atzmo kol ma she'yirtze. Every human being that wants to be extra strict with himself, he has the permission. But nobody can force him. You want to be extra strict, it's your life. But don't rule to others that they must be extra strict. Next. Amekel vechas al mamonam shel Israel. Someone that is lenient and have mercy on the money of the nation of Israel. Not everything, not kosher, throw it. Not good, you messed it up. It's not good, not kosher, you have to throw it. You cannot replace it, you cannot fix it. Find a way to allow it, right? And it's a shoot rama siman chafchet. Hamekel vechas al mamonam shel Israel vechas gamken al kvod kono itaneg al rov shalom. Someone that is always looking to be extra lenient for the public and allow what's allowed will get an extra pleasure and peace by Hashem. Rav Israel Misalant, the founder of the Musar movement, in his book, Tnuat Musar Chelek Aleph, page 346, this is what he writes, Ikara Ma'ala Shel Rav, the main importance by a rabbi. You want to be a rabbi? What is the first thing you have to know? The most important thing before you become a rabbi. Ikara Ma'ala Shel Rav, Shiyeh Gadol Batorah Virat Shamaim, 
He has to be big in Torah, very knowledgeable, very God-fearing person, not a university light, open orthodoxy, reform Russia, like most of them. No. Has serious irat shamayim. Vebaki knowledgeable in, in Jewish law. He should have strength and guts to find a way to allow things. Right? And he gives an example of Kmo Agaon Avbedin Dekovna Rav Itzchak Elchanan Spector. Rav Itzchak Elchanan wrote an answer to a rabbi that was complaining about his lenient ruling. They told him, you're too, too lenient, Ata Mekel. What? Rabbi, what kind, what's wrong with you? You're not strict. Everything by you is allowed, allowed. Rav Itzchak Elchanan. It says like this, אם אני אתיר לאנשים לאכול טרפה, if I will allow people to eat not kosher, right? The worst that can happen to me is that I can apologize to them and ask them for mechila. In the, בעולם הבא, in the next world, I will apologize to them. I made a mistake. I allow you to eat something that is not kosher. Please forgive me. But... If I will make them throw away their entire cow, which is like $5,000, right? What will happen then? I would make the, 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 the cow lose its tikkun. Because, you know, in the animals, when you slaughter, many times they have souls of people reincarnated in it. If I will say that it's not kosher, for being extra strict, not because that's the law, I don't want any business with animals. <laughs> yeah, you got the point or no? How will I ask for forgiveness from the animal? Tenoda be Yehuda, 150 years ago. Tenoda be Yehuda, Rav Yecheskel Landa. This is what he writes in an answer. Zot katafti beyalduti lemala mishloshim shana. I wrote it in my early days, 30 years ago. And I was very young and I was very fearing when it comes to halacha. Right? So most of my ruling was strict, leachmir, to be extra strict, much more than lenient. But now, I changed my mind. And many of the things that I say in the past when I was young and inexperienced are mistake in my hand. I made a mistake and you should know. Veda, ki ani eni noeg shum davar chumra yoter midalat ha'am. You should know that I, today, do not do anything extra strict than any ordinary Jew. Even though it's the biggest rabbi. What do I do? Exactly what's required by law, like the ordinary people. Nothing extra chasidut, right? Midalat ha'am, umehediot, shebahediotim, v'alevai sheyehe chelki la'olam haba im chad ama de'ara tamim. I hope 
But in the next world, I will have a share to the world to come together with these ordinary Jews who keep what really is required, not looking for extras. I said once in one of my lectures, there are two kinds of people that love humrot. They love extra. What is behind it, psychologically? There are two options. One option is you are ignorant, you don't know anything, and you're lazy. You don't want to come and learn for many years in yeshiva to know what's allowed, what's not allowed. So you made yourself a rule. Since I do not want to go and sit 10 hours a day for a few years to learn halachot, I know I'm going to remain ignorant for the rest of my life. I'm aretz. So how do I protect myself? Everything is not allowed. Is this allowed in Shabbat? Not allowed. Is this kosher? Not kosher. Is this can be used? Not allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. Everything not allowed. Why? No, don't take risk. This is one kind. Ameharatzot. And there is another kind. Full of ego. Mefutsatsim begava. Their ego is dripping from their ears. When they come to shul, faces like this. Why? Every once in a while you see. They look around. <laughs> I'll never forget. I used to know one guy like this. Called himself a rabbi, no? So 20 something years ago, he used to be called to be Sandak. Poor kids. All the kids that this guy was their Sandak, Shemirachem Alehem. They need a lot of mercy from Shamayim. So, I had one time the school to make one businessman Baal Tshuva, and he was only a few months in Monsi, beginner. In his, but he came to Yeshiva every day, he became serious. I'll never forget that one time, the faker, the actor, he used to put a very good show when he was a Sandak in a Brit. After he finished, everyone stayed online to get a bracha from him, and he goes like this. Pretend that he has Ruach HaKodesh. And after the Brit finish, everyone sat down, washed their hands, and starting to eat the bagels and the lights and everything. He stayed for an extra one, half an hour to an hour with the special uh, things that he was reading. Supposedly, he's praying for the baby, but it was all a show. How do I know? I followed him. He went like this. So one time, he heard things, and he got my student to hold it. Hold it, hold it. Why? Because he tried to impress him, because this is a rich businessman. So now the whole show is for him, that he is going to write him a nice check. <laughs> to think, wow, what a holy man. So I said to the guy, come sit with us. Why? So he goes like, look what's going on here. He stuck me over here. The, the guy was dripping. <laughs> was dying to eat. He kept him there standing 45 minutes while he's putting his show. Like this. After the breed, I said to him, tell me, you're full? You didn't understand this show? So of course I understood. But what was I supposed to do? Close his eyes. I said to him, Kvod Arav, I, I want to see. Ignores me. He's in the middle of the show. Why? There are people like this. In public, they're very strict. Send them to some uh, trip in some country. 
Nobody knows who they are. Now you check if they're really strict. Over there it's not Brooklyn. Check what time they daven, check how they daven, check how they cook and how they eat, and check how they bench. Fan of people? Wow. The Baba Sali needs a bracha from them. When I go to some island on a trip, the beard, rubber band, the peot disappeared. I'll never forget the first shock I got from the religious world, the first shock is that we invited to stay in a, in a house of people, if you see how they look, you never in your life will believe that they are fakers, never. And the woman said to my wife, where, what beach you are going to? She said, what beach? <laughs> we don't go to any beach. Ma, why not? We go. You go? My husband is so Hasidish like this. How you go? He puts the beard like this. He hides these things, put the hat. So you're wearing a bathing suit? Yes. Why she felt comfortable? She thought, oh, this guy, this guy just became religious. We can talk, you know, and we're on the same level. I was shocked. I said, oh, are you sure that that's what she said? She said, yes, we got to a place. Nobody knows us. So she actually confessed that she goes to a beach, mixed beach, with full of men going with a bathing suit. And you have to see how they look. Why? I don't get it. What is the point of putting the show? Don't you understand that Hashem knows exactly who you are? What is the point? The point is that sometimes people are afraid what their friends around will say, much more than they're afraid what Hashem would say. Much more. I'll give you a few more examples. Aruch HaShulchan, very important sefer, said to his student, Rav Yudha Lev, Rav Yudha Lev, הכהן, אני מכיר כמה רבנים גדולי תורה. I know a few rabbis that are big in Torah. And their fear from God is in a very high level. יראתם קודמת לחוכמתם. Their fear from God is even in a higher level than their knowledge in Torah. They're very strict because they're so righteous, meaning they're so God-fearing people. And when they come to an halacha question, always they do everything they can to forbid, to find that it's not allowed, not allowed, not allowed. That's the rule. They do everything they can to find and to say that it's not kosher, always, systematically. And how many times they already made people throw the food to the garbage, even though it was perfectly fine, and they cause millions of dollars of losses to people. 500 years, 300 there, 50 dollars there, over the years. Millions of dollars were wasted for nothing. As much worse, if a person will eat something that was not, not so strictly kosher, is not as bad as when you make someone throw to the garbage something that is perfectly fine. Because now you caused him a financial damage. What are you going to do now? How are you going to pay him back? Throw it all to the garbage. Give it to the goy. It cost me $500 and five hours to prepare it. Not kosher. 
And in Shamaim, they tell you you're wrong. It's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. So now the person that lost $500, how is he going to look at it when he goes to Shamaim and find out that every time he asked him, he made him throw it to the garbage and not even one time it was necessary. Not even one time. This is uh, uh, what we say, Yatsa Scharo Be'efsedo. He lost more than he gained. In all machloket de poskim of our days, what happens if a person will always take the lenient side? Did he break the rules or no? You have two Gdolei Torah, Rav Yashiv and Rav Ovadia. One of them will be lenient on this subject. Another subject, somebody else will be lenient. Another subject, somebody else will be lenient. Right? There's a lot of arguments. If a person will always choose the leniency, did he break the rules or no? The answer is no. He has who to count on. I did like Rav Ovadia, you're telling me I broke the rules? I did like Rav Eliashiv, I did like Rav Rosner, I did like Rav Moshe Feinstein. If Rav Moshe Feinstein say you can do it, how do you tell me that I did something wrong? It's not equal to arguments that we have in a Shas. When you have an argument in a Talmud, over there they already ruled what you have to do. That's it, it's not in your hand anymore. What's ruled, ruled. Right? In the book of Micha, in the book of Micha, chapter 6, verse 3, HaKadosh Baruch Hu say, Ami, my nation, what have I done to you? How did I torture you? Anebi, tell me, what did I do to you to torture you? What do we learn from this verse? Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you see, I did not put any burdens on you. I didn't ask you when you do Shema to stand. You can sit. I didn't ask you to that you have to mourn and go here and every day and torture yourself. Right? You can sit at home and say Shema and sit in a comfortable chair, no problem. Rav Amram Gaon said, one of the, of the Geonim, a thousand years ago, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is praising himself that he does not like to bother people. He doesn't like to be extra strict with people. Right? Meaning, I do not want you to do more than what's necessary. So please don't kill yourself and don't torture yourself. I told you, say Shema, sit. Do this, enjoy. Do this, no problem. I didn't ask you to torture yourself. One day a year, yes, Yom Kippur. Don't be more righteous than me. The Ramban on Vaikra Yutet Bet, speaking about Naval Bershut Torah, villain, villain that used the Torah to do everything that he desire. Not, he doesn't care about the truth, he doesn't care about the Torah. He only cares about his stomach. 
but he uses the Torah as a backup to prove that what he does is kosher. Allah hakli kosher. By the way, the Ramban invented this term, Naval Bereshut Torah. Nobody else uses this. This is an invention of the Ramban 750 years ago. The Ramban said, he gives an example of who is a villain that actually does not break any rule, clear rule, but everything he does, Hashem doesn't like. Someone that got married, and all week is together laying in bed with his wife, all week. He's allowed, she's his wife. Doesn't break any rule. But he became an animal. That's it. It's not a, nothing spiritual by him. Animals, that's what they like. All physical pleasure, all the time. Or all day eats meat, steaks, flesh. Good. Wow, look at the bone. Purim party. $20,000. Wow, so many desserts. Everything glad kosher. Kemach yashan. Strictly bet Yosef. Abba, we brought the meat from Montreal, special for the Purim party. Everyone 500 pounds. Anyone broke the rules? No. Connect them to a lie detector and ask them, do you think Hashem is proud of how you behave today? Not that fast they will say yes. Because inside they know that the Purim is the last thing they care about. The steaks and the whiskey and the great wine, that's the priority. Not everyone, of course. Some people. When you come and uh, rebuke him, you say, I don't understand, what do you want from me? Whiskey, kosher. Wine, kosher. The meat, bet Yosef. What do you want? We enjoy, we got drunk, we dance, great music. So we gain five pounds today. So what's the problem? That's called Naval Birshut Torah. You do everything correct, but Hashem is not pleased from that. Ah. Rav Yuda Greenwald in his book Ladat Baaretz Darkecha, page 333, testified that he came to Rav Yashiv, the biggest posek of the generation, and he asked him how you should educate Baalei Tshuva, people who became religious. How do you teach them Torah, Halacha? Rav Yashiv told him, you can write in my name that you should teach them only to do Ikar Adin. Only the minimum that is required by law. Nothing extra. Nothing extra. Nothing. Why? I wish I see it 22 years ago with that Georgian guy. I wouldn't be so strict with him. Let him build himself a year or two, and then slowly, slowly, he will grow himself even higher and higher. Why Rav Yashif say this? Why? You add more humrot, more and more and more and more and more. What happened to the Baal Tshuva? Return to the beach of Tel Aviv. What happened, Itzik? Why is he sitting here on Shabbos with a beard and a cigarette, playing Shesh Besh? 
Ah, the religion is too much for me. 90% of what they told him to do, none of it was required by law. Nothing. If they would stick to what Hashem really wants him to keep, it will be 60-70% less heavy for him. At least for the beginning, Baal Tshuva. But they put black hat, dress like this, wear like this, grow your beard, grow long peot, don't touch chalav akum, this ice cream is all you did, it's not for you, you have to do this, you need to put the, the netila next to your bed. They drove him crazy. What happened? He ran away from the yeshiva. Two months in yeshiva and he ran away. Where is he two months later? Back to his horrible days. I've seen it, Rabotai, unfortunately, I want to cry when I say it, dozens of times, that boys from the yeshiva, meaning well, of course, I mean, they all wanted him to become more righteous, putting pressure on a guy that came, Rosh Yeshiva said, no one is allowed here to tell anyone anything besides me. But, you know, sometimes in the heat of the moment. And what happened? In the end, they just couldn't take the pressure and they ran away and you lost an neshama for life. Neshama for life you lost. So this is in the name of Rav Eliashiv. רק עיקר הדין, רב שלמה וולבה זצ"ל, על אישור ב', פייג' 27. I'm giving you the biggest names of the generation, no one argue. Doesn't matter, ספרדי, חסיד, ליטאי, everybody knows those are the biggest חכמים of the generation. He says like this, ייתכן, it's very possible, that the closest attachment to Hashem, to the Creator, a person achieve, achieve with a dry act of kindness or a mitzvah that is very down to earth and simple. Nothing so high. Tom Cheshabes, let's say. They ask you, do you want a volunteer one, two hours a week to go put boxes by poor families? Big deal. What is he doing? Chesed. That's going to make him attached to Hashem more than sometimes learning. Depend on the source of the Neshama. Some people will get closer to Hashem by giving, supporting, giving money, buying food for the shul, making sure everything is fixed. That's their life. My assistant in Israel is like this. The shul, it's his life. One time he had an argument with a person and for two weeks they suspended him from the shul. The rabbi of the shul said to him, I know you're right, but I don't want problems over here. Go daven in a different shul for two weeks. He had to see his face. He couldn't talk. You talk to him, he's half dead. The moment they called him back, he came back to life. And what does he do in a shul? Pure slave. Slave, buy, fix, bring, carry, clean, dealing with all kinds of loon attacks. Do this, why you didn't buy this, why you don't have paper like this, why there's no coffee. I asked him, why are you so excited about this? Why don't you go and sit in a yeshiva and learn Torah all day? So I tried. I didn't feel 
that I'm doing something. Here is all Leshem Shamayim. That's what he's talking about, Ravolve. Maybe for him, maybe for someone else, sitting all day, 14 hours, learning Gemara, toss for deep, makes you the closest to Hashem. If you're going to put boxes, you're going to feel like, uh, like a worker in a supermarket. You don't feel any religion. But someone else is the exact opposite. The exact opposite. That's what Ravolbe talks meaning not everyone that is not a great learner is a Sheget, like some people would say. Yes, one time a guy in Monsi came to me, I want you to speak to my son. So what happened to your son? He's a Sheget. I said, okay, tell him tomorrow 2 p.m. to come to my house. The guy showed up. He's supposed to be Hasidish. But he dressed modern. He has a beard. Not so long. Yamaka. Brown jacket. And elegant pants. Doesn't dress ultra-orthodox. And I begin to talk to him. Through the conversation, I found out he's more religious than me, the guy. He learns more hours. He's Balmidot, the highest level. He's a lover of Hashem. He loves Torah. The only crime he has is that he doesn't dress like his father. That's really his main crime. So his father already came to the conclusion because he doesn't put the custom that is already off the derech. But throughout the conversation, he told me, I learn more than half a day every day. Then I work, I make parnasa and this and that. So I said to the father after I saw him, I said, what do, what do you want from your son? He's a great person. It's not much a kosher Jew. Great hashkafa, love to Hashem, learning more than half a day Torah, making a living on his own, not collecting charity. According to all the books I know, he's in a very high level. I mean, if tomorrow he passes, he goes to a very good place in Olam What exactly is bothering you? What's bothering him? The shame. That his friends look at him, that he dressed different. But that's not the main thing in life. Of course, the father would want his son to follow him 100%. 100%, yes. But sometimes the neshama of a kid is different. The neshama of that person is different. You want to force someone to be someone he doesn't want to be, it's going to end very bad. You're going to lose what he wanted to be also. Then you're going to regret, why, why did I even care about this? Why did I even care about this? I'll give you another example or two and we'll finish. In Slovotka, there was a guy that used to accept Shabbat an hour before everyone. Shabbos, let's say, start at 8. 7 is by him already Shabbos. 7 already by him Shabbos. Everybody else, 2-3 minutes before Shabbos, they accept Shabbos. Tosefet Shabbat. But this guy, Machmir Gadol, an hour before. Tov. The Rebbe Mislovotka, the Saba Mislovotka, he called him. He said to him, I want to ask you a question. Don't you think that it's so sad, such Nebech, that every one of the guys here, Mamash, are almost Mechal Shabbos? The Mamash accept Shabbos a minute or two before. On a border, what kind of irat shamayim is this? Baruch Hashem, I have one tzaddik besdom. 
that you accept Shabbat an hour before everyone. What do you think about all of them? The guy say, yes, Rabbi. I also think the same. I commend you. From now on, you accept Shabbat one minute before the time. Not an hour. What? You just complimented me. I was testing you. What does it matter the Sava Mishlovotka, which was a master of Musar, that he will accept one hour before everyone? Now we're going to learn a very important rule. If you chose to be extra strict than the public, and it makes you think that you are better than them, they are not religious enough, or they are sinners, or they are shagets, because they don't accept the extra that you accept, you lose more than you gain with your ego and pride. So then go back to normal, one minute before Shabbat. Why? If you look down at your friend that accepts Shabbat in the right time, like there are some sinners, Hashem doesn't need your extra strictness. This is another perfect example. The Ravovadia Yosef wrote in Tavshinun Aleph, in Or Torah, Iyar Tavshinun Aleph, Humrot Shenoega Baal Alatzmo, extra strict laws that the husband accepted on himself. En Shum Hechrach Shaishatin Akmoto, the wife is not obligated to follow every extra strict rule that he accepts on himself. He can force her. He wants to do Shabbat an hour before. He cannot force her to do Shabbat an hour before. He wants to do all kinds of unique extra things. He can force her. If she wants, very nice. If not, he can force her. He cannot force her to accept extra on herself that it's not an obligation. She, can, she has who to count on. Right? For instance, he wants to drink milk only badats. And she wants to buy milk from Tnuva, which is Rabanut. Milk. What's milk? The same milk. But here the badats put a stamp and here they didn't put. But it's the same milk. It comes from the same supplier. It's just that he didn't have the stamp of the badat, but he's an extra machmir. He doesn't want to walk in a supermarket with the milk that had Rabanut Yerushalayim. Someone actually would come and say, Mendel, let me see what's in your card. <laughs> oh my God, Shomu Shamaim. You drink challah from Tnuva? Oh my gosh. Oh, the Shiduch is cancelled. That's it. Don't ever talk to me about Shiduch for your children with mine. Don't want anything to do with you. What? Even if we would show him that the milk that he drinks and the milk he drinks came from the same cow. Not the same machleva. The same cow. He will still be, this faker will still be, no, no, no. Not acceptable. So Avavadia said, I guess he had a case that the husband wanted only Badat's milk. And the wife wanted the regular milk nuva. So, or 
The husband doesn't want to count on a term in Shvi'it. Now it's not Shemitah. They sell the, the land to Goyim, and based on that you can eat things that grow in Eretz Israel. Just like we do Mechirat Chametz. So Rav Ovadia Yosef is for it. Some Ashkenazi rabbis are very much against it. Like Rav Chaim Kanievsky was against it, and some others, Gdolim. Rav Ovadia said, it wasn't my opinion, some of the biggest Ashkenazi rabbis of a hundred years ago, Rav Elisa was the chief rabbi a hundred years ago, big Talmid Chacham, he made that a tear. Rav Ovadia said, if you don't allow this, why you allowed Mechirat Chametz? It's worse. Mechirat Chametz is a surim d'oraita, every second three scenes from the Torah and you count on it, to sell it to the Goy. Eating fruits from Shvi'it, which is nothing compared to Chametz that has karet, why won't you count on it? It looks like hypocrisy in a way. Why are you strict in something that you should be much more lenient, and you're lenient in something that you should be more strict? Yes, very good point. So the husband wants to not to count on eter mechira, and the wife wants to eat fruits that she likes, that is the, the store buying from eter mechira. She doesn't have to follow him. Why? I have big rabbis in the world that allow it. They say it's no problem whatsoever. I can count on them. Meaning, you see from here, the one person, even a husband and wife, cannot force the spouse to do extra. You want to be extra righteous? Do it. It's on you. You can't force anyone else. I wonder what the rabbi would say about his own children. Okay, it's the wife, the wife. But what about these children? Do they have to follow their father or they can also count on a big rabbi that allow it? It's a good question. Rav Menachem Adler, Tshuva Ka'alacha, chapter 34, first halacha. Davar Badukum Nusehu. Rav Adler was the rabbi of the Khatam Sofer, no? Rav Adler, yes. Rav Natsan Adler, so this is a different Adler, Menachem Adler, Tshuva Ka'alacha, that's his book. Davar Badukum Nusehu, right? Shetosefet bedikduk bemitzvot ובמידת חסידות בדברים שאינו מחויב בהם, מביאה לידי תקלות גדולות. When you always look to be extra strict, it brings a lot of damages to your lifestyle. Especially in Shlom Bayit, between husband and wife, it creates a lot of problems, and sometimes even divorce, and problem with the children. Sometimes it causes a person to leave their religion completely, as I just said five minutes ago. Last thing for today. How many pages? You have, that's a quiz for you to think. How many pages you have in a shas? Huh? Wow, I'm shocked. Shinuf. Two thousand seven hundred and eleven pages. 
How many times the Tanakh was printed in the world? Who knows? This is according to 20 years ago. By now it's a lot more. 20 years ago this question was asked and they went and found out how many Bibles, kosher one, not Christian one, <laughs> kosher one, how many they printed? Huh? Three billion in the last 500 years since they invented printing. In how many languages? More than 2,000 languages. Do you understand what I'm saying here or no? How to believe? Which tribe was the biggest tribe in the Exodus of Egypt? Yehuda. How many people? 76,500. Which one was the smallest one? Shimon, 22,200. In Yitziat Mitzrayim. Later on is a different story. Who is the, where, which shul is the northest shul in the whole world? But all the way to the north of the earth. Which one? Huh? In Norway. In a city called... Trondheim, in Norway, in the summer, the sun rises what time? What time you can dive in it? 3 a.m. It becomes light. And what time it becomes dark? 11.40 at night. Meaning, how many hours of night they have? Four hours. Four hours. That's it. 20 hours light. Every day you can walk like three days. You can make the workers walk in one day like three days. There's enough light. They can walk in the field. Now, in the winter, right, what time the sun rises? 10 a.m. in the winter. And what time sunset? 2.30 in the afternoon. Meaning four days light, 20 hours night. <laughs> Bottom line, can you be a Judah? Not exactly. Imagine making a Brit Milah after Vatikin at 4 a.m. After you finish davening. Who is going to show up? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Huh? 10, 10 in the morning. It becomes light. No, that's in the week. Ah, yeah, it's sunrise. Sunrise. Vatik in 10 a.m. And sunset too. <laughs> Meaning, if you want to do Brit, you start the Brit in sunrise and finish in sunset. Right? So that was Chodesh with Musaf and everything, the day is over. Tov. Uh, what else? 
Ay, 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 ay. I had something more interesting, but I cannot find it. I don't know what page it was. But I will give you now a question. It comes from David Amelech. David Amelech had this doubt. You have a war now. You have a war. The Goim are coming to kill you. How they go, where the Goim are hiding? In the field. You have in the field wheat, barley, it's grow eye. They hide in between. Corn. This is a private field of a Jew. You have now 50 soldiers of the enemy. Four, 50 Arabs are hiding in the field. And you, don't, you can't find them because they're hiding inside. Well, what are you going to do? You want to burn the whole field. And burn them all together. Allowed or not allowed? Are you allowed to burn someone's property? To do a mitzvah? By the way, there's a reason why I brought you this question, because it applies to today liberals. <laughs> you see how dumb we became. Look at David Amelech. David Amelech wants to burn the soldiers of the enemy alive. Today, if you shoot at them, you go to jail. If you shoot in the air. If he comes to kill you, Allahu Akbar, and you shot him, investigation, four hours, you sweat, they kill you, all these, like Nazis. Why you shot him? Could have shot in the air, but they will stick the knife in my heart. No, you're going to 20 years. David Amelech said, I want to burn them all alive. Mitzvah Gedolah to see all these filthy murderers going on fire. The only reason I don't do it is because the field belongs to someone. He's not worried about the life of these enemies. He's worried about the money that the Jew would lose by burning his field. Or a goy that lives in Israel. Same thing, you're not allowed to steal from a goy. So what's the answer? Allowed or not allowed? Who are the enemy in the time of David Amelech? Plishtim. Who are the enemies today? Philistines. <laughs> Almost the same. They took their name. So, 50 Hamas terrorists coming to Gush Katif to attack and they penetrate a field of some Jew that grow ladders or grow whatever he grows, olive trees, whatever. They hide over there. You want to burn the field with the 50 Hamas terrorists. But you're going to cause 100,000 shekel damage to the trees, to the, to the tomatoes, to whatever he has over there. Allowed or not allowed? David Amelech is tapeki mutar lisrof gdishim. Shomim? Shel Yehudim. Kedeh lisrof et aplishtim shayu mukhbaim betocham. He asked the Chachamim of his generation. The Chachamim told him, you're not allowed to save yourself with the money of your friend. Wait. But you are the king. And the king is above the law. Melech poretz gader. The king can break the wall, meaning 
Whatever the law is, the king is above the law. So based on that, what the Chachamim answer him, are you allowed to use your friend's property to save yourself? The answer, if you plan to pay after the damage, right, let's see, someone wants to attack you, and you want to break the glass of your friend's car, and drive to get your life safe. But it's going to cost three, four hundred dollars damage to the car. Plus you use gas, I don't know, another ten, twenty dollars. If you come later and say, don't worry, I'll fix the glass and I'm going to give you the money for the thing. Can he sue you for using the car without permission or no? So the answer is, if he planned to pay after... You're allowed to even steal from your friend Almenat Lachzir in order for you to pay later when the danger is over. And what happens if your friend is blocking you? No, no, you're not taking my car. And you're strong and you can fly him to the side, break the glass and go. You're allowed or not allowed? I'm not Mochel, I'm not forgiving you. Allowed by force to take it. What happens if you're hungry, you knock on a, on a door, you're starving, you're about to die. You ask the Jew over there, can you give me something to eat? No. He said, no. I'm hungry. Your problem. What do you want from me? Go to work. But right now I don't have money. I need, I need money. And he is talking to you with a nice shawarma in his hand. Lafa. He's holding his lafa. And you're not going to do it. You're not going to give me something to eat? No. I know. Do I know you? What should I give you? Are you allowed to grab the key pita from him and run away or no? A. Allowed. B. Only if you're going to come later and pay for it. And C. Not allowed. No matter what. Which one of the three is correct? Huh? What do you say? Huh? If a person is hungry and he knows that he doesn't have how to pay back later on, because it's an obligation from the Torah to revive him, this person has an obligation from the Torah, and right now he's breaking the rule of Hashem, right? You're allowed to grab it from him and eat without paying later on. Why? Because it was his obligation to give you something to eat for free. Obligation. For free. In a Gemara, it's written that a person, people used to deposit money by him. Like a banker. And robbers robbed him. They came with an, a sword and robbed him. Does he have to pay all the people that deposited by him or no? The answer is no. Because they robbed him with a weapon and it was a life risk. If it was not a life risk, he had to pay them. But because it was with a weapon, it's either you're saving their money or you die. You don't have an obligation to die to save the money of your friend that he was trusting you to keep the money. Because nobody take money from anyone to reserve it 
with the intention that in case he's going to have to die for it, he's willing to die for it. Who's willing to do such stupid thing? He may have to do shvua, because everyone can say they came with a the knife. They make, make him fall, swear in court that he really was with a weapon. אין לך פיקוח נפש ופדיון שבויים גדול מזה. It's פיקוח נפש and redeeming the, the prisoner. How many times they name David appears in a Tanakh? More than any other word. 1,023 times. What's the second name, second most popular name in the whole Tanakh, 24 books of Judaism? Moshe. How many times? It's dangerous to say. I'm giving you a hint. The number is uh, it's going to make a lot of people talk. <laughs> I never believed anyone would read my mind. 770. Oh, one Chabadnik told me, the Rebbe is Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation. Here now he has what to back it up with. <laughs> 770 times it mentioned in the old Tanakh. Which book is the longest book in the Tanakh? In chapters? Tehillim. 150 chapters. Psalms. In words? Which book is the longest in words? Irmiyahu. 21,000 words. Exactly. How many, how many times the name of God where, where the name of God appeared the most? In which chapter of the Tanakh? Chapter 29 in Tehillim, 18 times in one chapter. In a book of Irmia, the name of God appears 735 times. Which books in the Tanakh, the name of God does not appear there at all? And? Megillah Esther and? Shira Shirim does not appear at all. So we got some general education to finish. Any questions before we go? So Bezrat Hashem, after Pesach, I'm going to Eretz Israel, and when I come back, you will follow the, the schedule. And we will renew the lectures, Bezrat Hashem. But I, I have to fix the calendar because this calendar is. We're building a new calendar. My, my app guy will build a new calendar. We don't have to depend on a Google calendar. I don't know what's going on with their calendar. I post in my calendar the name of the, the, the address of the lecture, and it appeared 10 times every day, 10 times. Today, tomorrow, I don't know. I know, maybe Hashem wants me to do ten times the lecture every day instead of one time a day. Ten times every day. Okay, maybe. That's why it appears so many times. Any questions yet? Um, since it's a mitzvah to read um, each letter out, each word out loud on Pesach, what about 
if you are people, you have to read loud. Then all the people have to hear. But the question is if you are alone. Even then it's better to read it loud. There are levels on Limut Torah. When you read loud, it's higher than when you just read it, because you will remember what you read. And if you sing it, you will remember it even more. That's why in Yeshivot, sometimes you come in and you see someone in, alone in a Bet Midrash, and he sings very loud. Hey, we didn't come to a show here. I mean, why he sings? He's alone there. The answer is because when you learn and you sing, the brain absorbs the information. I'll give you an example. People that are stuttering, they have problem talking, right? They get stuck. Ah, 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 ah. But if you give them a song, they will sing fluently. They won't get stuck in a song. Why? Because in the brain it's already recorded because of the music. Also the kids in yeshiva. They put them four or five years old to start learning the chumash. How do they teach kids chumash? Bereshis is in the beginning. Why they sing? They can say Bereshis in the beginning. Barai lokim. When you sing, the kids enjoy. It's a whole party. But when they sing and sing and sing, even 20 years later, you remember the song. I remember a song I used to hear 40 years ago. Most of the words, at least. If it would be some page that I read a few times 40 years ago, would I remember a word? No. The only reason I remember it because it has a melody. Right or wrong? Same thing when you dive in. If you want to go grab a tissue or something outside on Shabbat, when will you get up? As Yashir Moshe Uvne Israel, because you already know it by heart. Things that you don't sing, you don't know by heart. You get confused. Something you always sing every day, you know it by heart. Why? It's automatically. You sing. You don't have to think. Right? So whatever you sing, you see the brain records. Whatever you just think about, none of it you will remember. If you learn by thinking only, give it a week or two, not, none of it reserved in the brain, nothing. Why? <coughs> it's not learning. It has to be loud. Any more questions? Um, I have um, an extra AirPod. Can I give it to my coworker who listens to music? What's this, this little... Uh, little why giving it to someone who listens to... Ah, you, so it's not to give, to no, sell. To sell yeah. The rule is like this. If you sell something to someone that is going to commit a sin with that, we have to check. If this someone can get it somewhere else with or without you, the answer is yes. He doesn't need you. You're not the only, if you are the only one who has it in the world, you're not allowed to sell it to him. But if he can get it anyway somewhere else, with or without you, so you don't have lifnei verloti ten michshol. What about rabbinical halacha mesayeh ledvar avera? Since there's no guarantee he's going to do it, he can do good things with that. I didn't tell you to do bad things. If it's something that is used only for negative, for instance, it's a not kosher magazine, like one of these religious magazines that is murdering the souls, or a lecture of Santa Claus, that's murdering the, the soul. 
So all these things, it's guaranteed to do a damage. But giving a person earpiece or headphones, he can use it for Shiwet Torah. I didn't tell you to use it for bed. Plus, anyway, you can buy it somewhere else, so you're allowed to sell it. But better to sell it to someone that you know for sure that would hear only Divrei Torah with this or kosher religious songs. You can do both. Get your money and make the person do good things with it. Yes. More questions? Louder. It's a good question. When you say chen v'chesed v'rachamim, Hashem is yes, chesed. He's doing chesed to people. There are many explanations to it. One of the explanation is that Hashem did not have to give us what He gave us. Meaning, He needs to give us food to survive. All the food could have been bread. It doesn't have to be five million different flavors. That's chesed. Meaning, He gives us more than He needed to. You need to survive bread. It's enough, bread and tomatoes, that's it. Or, what does it mean, chen? Chen v'chesed v'rachamim. Chen, what's chen? Chen means beauty. How Hashem gives us beauty when He revives us? Who told you that Hashem has to make the food have five million different colors? It can have been all green, all dark green, like grass. It will be very boring. Hashem gives us what we need in nice colors. Trees, different colors, all vegetables have colors and nice different shape. It could have been the whole world one color, the whole world one color in the food. Everything could have been very boring. You want to have kids? No pleasure involved. You come to your wife, you press on her nose, she press on your nose. Mazal tov, shkoyach. We'll meet again in nine months. Hashem didn't have to entertain life. It could have been very, very boring. The fact that he put us here in a test and gave us so much good spices to entertain our life, that's chesed. Meaning, you're giving someone more than what he actually could have asked for. You understand? I can give you an example. You go to work. They tell you you're going to make $20 an hour in a restaurant. Working on a, on a counter, cutting bagels, putting in containers. When you, when you were hired, they didn't tell you that they're going to give you air condition and free coffee and free lunch. None of it. You can come, work, and it will be 100 degrees in a store. No air condition. Cheap owner. You work and you get paid. I didn't promise you nice, cool air condition. But it gives you air condition. When you're hot, you can turn on the AC. That's chesed. It's not an obligation. You agree or no? That's called chesed. Chesed means matnat chinam. Matnat chinam. Any more questions? That's it. Right. So how does it make sense what you just said before that? No, yeah, well, today, what we, today we have halakha that all the halakhot is like Bet Hillel. The Gemara time, 
in ההלכה, the פסק of the גמרא, is הלכה כבית הלל. It's in the גמרא. The גמרא says, why you post in הלכה כבית הלל? מה, בית הלל always right? It cannot be that Shammai was right? Of course, Shammai was right many times. It's too big חכמים. The answer is because he was humbled. Anav, what's the connection? Two בחורי ישיבה argue about the גמרא. What's the פשט? The one that is more proud was right. Maybe he's sharper. Maybe he was mekaven to what Tosfot meant more than the one that is humble. No, no. He, he is right. Why? Because he's humble. What's the connection? Humble, take him to Shidduch for your daughter. But right now we want to know who said the Pshat in the Gemara. The answer is, when you are humble and you have good midot, Hashem likes you more. When Hashem likes you more, you have more siyata dishmaya. When you have more siyata dishmaya, there is always a higher chance that you may come into the truth. Not necessarily that Bet Hillel is right all the time. Could be that Bet Shammai was right. But we don't care. Because there is higher chance that Bet Shammai is right because Hashem likes more humble people. Not that Shammai wasn't humble. But Hillel was extremely humble. More than the average. So, halacha like him. But uh, when you say that someone will choose, pick and choose, Betchamai, Betilel, that's exactly what you're not allowed to do after the Gemara ruled. I have to go like, this is what I say, if you remember, I said, what the Gemara ruled already, halacha kerabi Shimon, halacha kerabi Meir, halacha keze, whatever halacha, that's it. We're not allowed to open it for negotiation. But if there's a crackpot that came out today, Rav Shlomo Zalman Oerbach would say, allowed on Shabbos. Rav Eliashiv say, chilul Shabbos. Could be an argument. So you need now to use it on Shabbos. You don't have anything else. You can count on uh, Rav Shlomo Zalman Oerbach. You come to Shammai and say, you're not afraid? Rav Eliashiv say, it's chilul Shabbos. Rav Shlomo Zalman Oerbach is also a big posek. And he says it's allowed on Shabbat. I didn't do on my own. I counted on one of the biggest poskim. By the way, this is, uh, this is what allowed. What really recommended is always to go to Khumra. Even when it machloket achronim. Why? Because it's Isur Karet. I once heard the drasha of a Chacham. There was an argument if you're allowed to open the, the, the top, the lids. According to Avovadi Yosef, you're allowed according to Avel Yashiv Ischil on Shabbos. Big argument. One say mutar lechatchila, and one says isur skila in karet. So the chacham in a, in a lecture, he asked someone that has irat shamayim. You want to open now? You can open it before Shabbos. What's the big deal? Another minute, and you open it and put it in the fridge opened already. No, I'm not going to open it before Shabbos. Why? Because Rav Ovadia says it's allowed, and if it's allowed, it's allowed. But Rav Eliashiv says it's stoning. According to Rav Eliashiv. So it's true that in the end you can come and say, he's my rabbi and I follow him. They won't be able to cut you from the Olam Abba when Rav Ovadia says it's allowed. But Hashem will be very disappointed from you. Why? If you had a way to do according to both, how you were not afraid to take a risk of doing Isur Karet? I'm not talking about the punishment. 
I won't give you the punishment because you had the Gadol Batorah to count on. But the question is, you, you, for yourself, as Yeresh Amayim, if Rav Eliashiv is right in a machloke, that means according to Hashem's opinion, you just broke Shabbat. Without a punishment. The punishment is waived. But how, how you're not afraid that you just broke Shabbat? Based on that, Chacham, that gave that shiur, someone that is really a reshamayim, every time he comes to Chilul Shabbat or any Isur Karet, even if you have who to count on, better to go according to the Machmir, because after all, it's Isur Karet. By the way, there is another problem. Today, the Gemara said that before the Mashiach came, I met Yenederet. The truth will be divided to groups. Eder, like cattle, like uh, cattle, right? No, not cattle. How do you call it? Eder, sheep. Group of sheep. What do you call it? Cattle, no? Cattle. Cattles. Okay, so today the Jewish nation is divided to groups. Chabad, Breslev, Satmer, Moroccans. Yemenites, regular Sfaradim, Litvish, Yekes, Chazonishnikim, it's groups, like the army, Air Force, Navy, Brisk, everyone, you know, in the end it's all one army, but everybody is proud of his unit, you're talking to the Air Force, ah, what is this, Navy in the ocean, we are in the sky, what's your intelligence? What's the Air Force world without our information? You won't know where to attack. Everyone is zealous to his unit. Hasidim, they are the best. Moroccans are the best. Temanim are the best. The Litvish, who can come near us? Everyone thinks he's a... Mamash, but chasreu me'at me'elokim. In reality, all of us are nothing. That's really the truth. Full of ego, but we are nothing. But the question is, when you are Sfaradi and you have an Ashkenazi posek that say that something like this is Chilul Shabbat, and the other way around, when you are Ashkenazi and one of Gdolei Sfaradim says Chilul Shabbat, are you allowed to say, I follow my tradition, meaning I'm not Ashkenazi, I go like the Chazonish. אני ספרדי, I go like ספרדים, I'm מרוקר, I go like רב משאש, I'm סאטמר, I go like רב יואל מסאטמר, I'm חב"ד, I go only like the Rebbe. But someone else said it's חילול שבת, but the Rebbe doesn't. The religion can be divided to nationalities? It looks to me the most stupid thing that ever happened in Judaism. What does it have to do with where you came from? If you're Yemenite, or Moroccan, or Hungarian, or German. The Torah was given to all people. Then they went here and I went there. You want to change the Torah based on countries? Or based on the argument? Regardless of where you came from. Moroccan argue, Yemenite argue, Hasidish argue, Litvish argue, Yekes argue, Brisk. They all argue. In the end, someone has to win the argument. Why do we care where is he from? If the brisker will bring the argument now, we will have to go, we follow him because he proved his point. But I'm not a brisker, who cares? They all argue from the same Torah. I don't have an answer to this. I don't understand. How can it be? You see, you see 
We are Hungarians, so we follow Hungarians' rabbis. And if a Romanian rabbi would say something, and it's just as big as in Torah, it doesn't matter. Why? Did he bring his proof from a different Torah? He brought it from the Quran, or he brought it from the same Torah and the same Talmud? I'm going to tell you something you won't believe. You just won't believe it. I'm not going to even tell you the name of the rabbi, even though I know it. Rav Ovadia Yosef told a story. Once in his own shiur, I heard it with my own ears. Until today I cannot believe that something like this can happen. Rav Ovadia said they invited me to one European rabbi. I'm not saying from where, from what city, from what national, nothing. But one European, which is different than Sfaradim. Sfaradim is Middle Eastern and European is Europe, two different continents. First time I came to meet him, he's Gadol Batora, Rav Ovadia is Gadol Batora. It's many times happened that Gdoleim Batora meet each other. When I went to him, and believe me, this rabbi is counted by the Ashkenazim as a real holy rabbi, real one. Rav Ovadia said in his speech, do you know what he asked me? He said to me, you the Sfaradim, do you also have Talmud like we have? Rav Ovadia said, my blood almost popped out of my ears. So I said to him, excuse me, Kvodo, your Talmud came from Polania or from Babel? Where we are from. Where did it come from? He said, he got angry at me. He mocked on me. Meaning he wanted to cut the meeting quickly. I'll take him out of here. Ravavania said, how can it be that he asked such a question? Where was he until now, 80 years of his life? What did he think? That the Talmud was written in Poland or in Russia? I'll be honest with you, if I didn't hear this in my own ears from the voice of Ravovadia, I would never believe anyone who tell me such a story. I'd say, ah, you made it up, forget it. But I heard it, I promise you, in my own ears, in his own voice. He asked him, Tagid, the Talmud shelachem, lachem yesh, oto Talmud kmo shelanu yesh? But we see such a thing, grasshoppers, the Svaradim, anything we don't, because you have the that's something no that's something so, so things that you have things, things that you have mesorah in food and things and stuff they like they stuff feel, like this but do you understand do you believe that there is a European Talmud Chacham that will ask a Sfaradi Talmud Chacham if they have the same Talmud does it make sense to you shocking shocking and again, it wasn't just a simple rabbi or chas v'shalom, not it's a big tzaddik, big giant chacham. No, yeah, no, forget it, it's not normal, it was somebody that already lost it. No, 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 very sharp, very holy, very famous. I don't know, I really don't know what to say, yes. So, um, I know Hashem is very Doctors, what? Say it again. A doctor or a nurse or anyone in the healthcare has this in mind that like they're saving someone's life because maybe they'll do chuba. Does it make it hard for them to save them? I spoke about it many times in my lectures. 
if you remember, I said that my daughter, she wanted to go be a doctor. I told her you shouldn't go be a doctor. She asked why. I said, who are you going to have to save? Let's think. Going to work in New York somewhere. From a hundred people that were walking, 90% of them for sure will be very wicked people that according to the Torah don't deserve to live. Such as Nazis, anti-Semites, murderers, gays, Mechalele Shabbat, Apikorsim, reforms, conservative, idol worshippers, Muslim terrorists, Pakistani Al-Qaeda, and all of a sudden one Tzadik Hasid or some Litvish guy once in a while. Do you want to have a job that 90% of your time you have to protect the biggest monster on earth? Imagine you have to take care of Bernie Sanders, Shem Reshaim Yerkav. Instead of hanging him in a town that the crows will eat him, this low life that hates God so much, you're going to have to save his life? Or two men would come, Hi, my husband is sick, can you help him out? What are you going to have to do? No, no, I'm a religious girl from Bet Yaakov. Not allowed to help two people that are Sodom and Gomorrah criminals. Fair or no? Oh, so now you have a point. But maybe one day they'll do tshuva. Most people in the world do tshuva or don't do tshuva. The answer, the vast majority of the people in the world die wicked. There's nothing to even compare. For every thousand people, maybe one does tshuva. So on the 999 that will not do tshuva, for the one that will do tshuva, it doesn't make it right. If the statistic would show that most people before they die become righteous, that's a different story. Why are you helping him? Because I know statistics shows that from every thousand people, 990 of them become righteous. So for that, it's worth it. They will be permitted. But if reality shows that they only become more wicked, and by you giving them life, they're going to fight the Torah more. And they fight the religion more. And they will help our enemies more. Why would I want such a job? But what about for children now? And does it work because they themselves haven't done any sins yet? Can you go based on the fact they're most likely falling away to the parents? Now you're asking a very good and very hard question. What about their children? Can we go by certainty that a Hamas terrorist child, even though right now he's only three years old, is going to be a terrorist like his parents that will brainwash him to hate Jews and kill Jews like they do everywhere? Oh, since there is an innocent kid in front of us right now, he's only three and he doesn't know yet that he has an obligation to kill Jews. Since right now he's not really a criminal, maybe we should help him and raise him and save his life. Even we know 99% chance tomorrow he's going to come and kill our children. Now I want to tell you something. In one end, Ishmael, Hashem say, uh, Why didn't you punish Ishmael? Because right now he still doesn't deserve to die. On the other hand, he gives a good example, which is the opposite, that Ben Soreru More, you kill him before his bar mitzvah. 
twelve and a half, you kill him. Why? Because he's gonna be a murderer one day, because he's already robbing people. Next level is to start killing for money. No, right. In reality, it never happened, but if that's written in the Torah, that means if you would have a case like this, you would have to kill him. That means the Torah told you kill him before he becomes a murderer. Same thing over here. Since it's Chazakah that all these Palestinians, all of them wants us all dead, almost all of them, almost all of them, do we have an obligation to save their life? In my humble opinion, absolutely not. We have enough people from our own to take care of and feed them and put money into them to make them righteous. We have no obligation to go help our enemies to make them strong that they should come and kill our children. Maybe other people would say otherwise, but in my opinion, it's pretty clear. That's why I said that it's better not to be in such a position. Because once you become a nurse or a doctor, that's it, you got to take care of everyone. And do you know how many people uh, told me that one guy told me from Florida, I gave 2,000 vaccines. I tried to reach you, I couldn't reach you. Now it's after the fact, but I wanted to know if I, if I wanted to know if I did the right thing or not. What's the right thing? One Nazi shaved with a swastika and a Hitler tattoo on his arm came to get a vaccine. When I when he took out his up his sleeve, I see swastika and Hitler, and I have to give him a shot on his shoulder. Was I allowed to give him a shot to save his life from COVID? Or I had to refuse to give him a shot and may get fired? Or what should I have done? I said, what did you do? He said, I had to give him the shot. I gave him the shot. So you should have given him a shot to kill him. COVID. Put COVID in him. It's mitzvah to kill Amalek. You kill him and then you sit 40 years in prison for killing a Nazi. That's what happened. The law of the land today, everywhere you go in the world, contradict the law of God. Actually, in Arab countries, the law of the land is much closer to the laws of God than any other country. Any other country, they are married men with men, they allow women to walk with no clothes, they support cheating, that married women would cheat and they still give them the house and they still give them rights. In an Arab country, she will get that penalty, like the Torah. Two gays, that penalty, like the Torah. A thief will get a serious punishment, like the Torah. So in the Arab countries, their punishments is much closer to the Torah than in any liberal democratic countries. If you ask me, if I would have to raise my children in Saudi Arabia or in France, or in Germany, I would rather to live in Saudi Arabia. Yes, the, many Arabs there would want to kill us every day, but they would not want to kill our body. But they couldn't affect our soul, because over there you must cover, and you're not allowed alcohol and drugs, and you're not allowed to have gay uh, commercials on the street, and you're not allowed to have dirty movies, and women don't even drive. <laughs> the Saudis are more Hasidish than us. The women in Saudi are not allowed to vote and to drive. No woman in Saudi will go to the beach. There's no men and women mix. In Iran, women just made a demonstration this week. Guess for what? 
thousands of Iranian women screaming against the Ayatollahs. Why? Because they are not permitted to watch soccer in a stadium. They are not allowed to enter a sport event. Remember, they will get to a separate section. They're not going to get where the men is. There's a separation. But the women want to watch soccer. And in Iran, it's not allowed. Right? What's going to happen? Women come to the stadium. Men come to the stadium. Outside, they all get mixed. Sins will happen. When the mass murderer Iranians who support all the terror in the world are more modest than us with this on our head, then we have a big problem. That's why Hashem let this Arab kill us daily. Why? It's very sad. Not only they kill us, a minute before they shoot at us, they scream, God is great. Sad, very sad. Yesterday I put on my WhatsApp group a film from Lower East Side, 100 years ago. People preparing for Pesach, matzahs, this. You saw in that film maybe a thousand people. Now one was secular. Everyone was ultra, ultra orthodox. You didn't have reform, you didn't have conservative, you didn't have secular. Everyone was Hasidish and Litvish. Modesty, no women had wigs, there was no such thing. Everyone was covered, everyone had black hats and beards, and everything was kosher. Lower East Side was more fanatic than Williamsburg today. Or Borough Park. Go there today, walk in Manhattan, see what's happening. Go on Grand Street, Clinton, East Broadway, go on those streets. You see here and there some religious people. The rest are what? Chinese, Puerto Ricans, and many secular Jews. Shabbat, walking around. That's only 100 years ago. Today, they're fighting if to allow Hametz to hospitals in Israel. That's, by the way, what brought down these lefty trader governments. One, Datilonit, very modern Orthodox girl. I don't know how she's in the government. She could have been my daughter, she's so young. How she is it's one of the 120 people in the government. I don't understand how little kids become rulers. But at least after betraying us so many times, her conscience killed her. She said, I can't be in this government with the Muslim brothers, with the gays, with the lefties, with the haters of Hashem, even though I'm very, very modern, between you and me. Modern meaning almost not religious at all. But you destroyed the Jewish identity so bad in nine months, I cannot be a partner of it anymore, a part of it. Bringing Hametz into the hospital in Pesach? But what do you want? The Supreme Court ruled. Who care about them? Let them go to hell, Reshaim Arurim. Who care about them? Let them bark until tomorrow, this Reshaim. They're the worst than Antiochus. Who are they? The biggest, the most filthy people in the world sit in Israeli Supreme Court, one by one. Every one of them is the biggest criminal who thinks he's a god. Make fun at God and his, and his Torah. Who cares what they rule? If it was up to me, if I was in politics, 
first rule I would pass, that the court in Israel can only deal with criminal cases, nothing else, no, poli no politics, not Palestinian, Israeli, not religion, nothing. Rule, who murdered who? Who stole from who? Who has to pay money to who? That's it. What tradition we will have, matzah, chametz, shabbos, marriage, civil marriage, intermarriage, you have no say. You are nothing. You're just a clerk. Clerk. You know what a clerk? Two people come. He stole from me. No, he stole from me. No, you liar. You liar. Okay, guys, let's settle. You give him 50. You give him this, that, that. Finish. That's a judge. That nothing else. He shouldn't say, bring Hametz into the hospital, transportation on Shabbos, gay marriage, intermarriage. Who are you? What are you, a god? They took over the country. They took over the country. Unbelievable what happens here. Mafia of lefty traders stole Israel from 70% of the people are traditional. Not religious, but traditional. They don't want chametz in hospitals. You want to hear the best part? Mansur Abbas. The head of the Muslim brother sitting in the Knesset that got 54 billion shekel, a bribe, to sit with the traders in the government, that they should have a majority, 61 seats. 54 billion. They asked him in an interview two days ago, what is your opinion about bringing Hametz to hospitals? An Arab Muslim that declared that Jews should die and leave Israel, that Israel should go to them. He's not hiding it in his Arabic speeches. What did he answer? In my opinion, when there are religious rules, the people that are not religious has to respect the part of the nation that follow their tradition. People have to tolerate each other. You cannot ignore so many people that that's their belief and that's their lifestyle and say you do what you do and I'll do whatever I want. He is more a Jew than this Supreme Court dogs. This murderer. Better than them. Trust me, no, no joke. In the eyes of Hashem, they are worse than him. Ask him, would you allow gay marriage in Israel? He's against it. A lot of the things that they want to pass this Rishayim is against it. Do you know that they wanted to take Bachorei Shivot to the Yeshivot and the Arabs voted against it? Why? Because they saw it's important to the religious Jews, to Shas, Degel Torah. So they said, we, we're not supporting it. <laughs> they are not as bad as them. Soon, soon, the Gemara said, the Zohar said, this is the Erev Rav taking over the land before Mashiach came. But, did you read the Aftarah on Shabbat? Parashat Metzorah? Shabbat HaGadol, Aftarat Shabbat HaGadol. How does the, V'arval Adonai, Mimchat Yehuda V'Yerushalayim, Kimei Olam Ucheshanim Kadmoniot. How does it end? In a salvation. What does it say over there? 
הוא remember the end of the הפטרה. That הקדוש ברוך הוא will make a hole in the sun and the heat of the sun will come out and burn all the wicked people in the world. And the righteous one will have a beautiful warm breeze. Millions of degrees comes on you and doesn't touch you. Divine miracle. All the reshaim, goes on, become torched. And the righteous people doesn't touch you. Jews and non-Jews. Righteous. Doesn't touch you. Wicked? Shh. Why? That's how Hashem will purify the world. With fire. Like you, you purify the silver. With fire. I hope you paid attention what we read on Shabbat. Here is the day come harder than in an oven. An oven is five, six hundred degrees. Sometimes a thousand, depending on the oven. Do you know what it means? In less than a second, you go on fire. Depends which break. Depends. In Israel, the Chilonim has a beautiful say. If it was up to me, I would put it in Pirkei Avot. But you're not allowed to change the Torah. What do they say? Tzohek, mi shetzohek acharon. Tzohek, mi shetzohek acharon. Who he laughed last? Laugh best. It's a hard sentence. Tricky. But you got the point. Let him laugh for now. Soon we will see who laughs for good. But until then, I want to wish every one of you Chag Kasher V'Sameach. We should not be nechshal in any halacha. Kol anizar b'chametz, the Ari HaKadosh say, b'chametz sh'avar alav ha-Pesach, it saves him from making sins the entire year after. Have to be extra strict on Pesach. Don't be a fool. Don't have to cover the whole house and the ceiling with the tin foil and spend $5,000 on it. Because you're not leaking the ceiling or the wall. But be strict what you eat, what you don't eat, what you cook. Rice for Sfaradim, check three times to make sure there's no wheat there. Shkenazim, check what they have to check. And Bezrat Hashem will all make Hashem happy. And Bezrat Hashem, Benisan Nigalu, Benisan Atidim Ligael, maybe will be saved. Also, it's not Shemitah. And also it's written that the Arabs will control us for nine months, and now it's nine months. So there is a chance that maybe by next Tuesday something will happen. I already have a flight to Israel. The question is, what's, what's going to be with you? Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen, Amen. Rabbi Hanania, Amen. Amen. Amen.